It's one o'clock and time for the services from the Calvary Baptist Church of Gainesville. Now, Pastor Raymond Laddie. Let's turn to in our Bibles today to uh, Judges chapter 3. We're going to look uh, at the first and last judge today. And I may do a, a little series on this. There's a lot to, to look at. Uh, the slide that uh, I'm, I'm notorious for doing a one-slide slideshow presentation just to give you something to look at. But that's the trial that's going on in the Netherlands at the place called The Hague. You know, the, the uh, South Africans delivered up, brought charges against uh, Israel for the war in Gaza. They say they're committing genocide. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, the, the genocide started on October the 7th. The genocide, you know, went on, goes on back to uh, the, the uh, Holocaust. But that aside, that's, I guess, a, rep a, a legal representative for Israel. And that guy on the right that looks like he's got a possum on his head, uh, he's the... The, uh, I guess the overseer, he may be some type of judge, but they still wear those powdered wigs, which shows you probably how out of touch they are. But Israel's got to give answers because they're the aggressor. You know, they were minding their own business on October 7th and were attacked, and all those horrible things happened to men, women, and children. So not only are they fighting physically, economically, uh, you know, militarily, they're also fighting in the courts. Uh, the UN is not Israel's friend, and it has to do with spiritual things. But I want to talk about the first and the last judge because, believe it or not, and you may not believe it, you may deny it, you may run away from it your whole life, we're all going to stand before the last judge one day. And there's some things we need to know about that, but I want to talk about the first judge that we find in the book of Judges. Now, we all know about Samson. I hope we know about Samson. We all know about Deborah and uh, Gideon, probably Samson and Gideon are the two best-known judges. Uh, but we're going to look at the first judge today just briefly because he was very important as Israel came out of their tribal existence as a people, having come out of Egypt, and God began to institute government and laws and, uh, you know, the, the, the Levitical law and the law that we find in Numbers and, and Deuteronomy. So he began to appoint judges, and then there would be a time of judges, and then the kings would come in. Uh, it was the development of them as a nation. So the first judge, and I had never really looked much about this guy because he, there's so little mention, was a fellow named Othniel. Othniel, in verse 9 of Judges chapter 3, he was the first judge. And it says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because they were being oppressed, as they got into Canaan, they do what a lot of people do. They begin to forget God, the true God, and they begin to practice the Canaanite rituals and the fertility rituals, and they begin to do all these pagan practices. So God said, Okay, I'll turn you over to your enemies. So they begin to cry out when that happened because they were suffering. They wanted judges. So it says in verse 9, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So Joshua and Caleb were, that were the two spies, two of the 12 spies that went into Canaan and scouted it and came back and said, Yeah, this is a beautiful land. This is a rich land. This is the promised land. We can take it away from the Canaanites. 
you know, the, the only two that weren't scared to rely on God and his strength, well, one of their nephews, specifically Caleb's nephew, would become the first judge of Israel. So you see that godly family lineage that God can and will use on behalf of his people, whether they be physical Israel or spiritual Israel. So he stood up and was, was a godly man, was a man of, of action, was a man of, of courage, and God used him to judge the enemies, if you will, of Israel through warfare. So it says that he led uh, the children of Israel, the men, into battle and delivered them from some of their enemies. And many of the judges, their job for the, for the Israelites in the book of Judges was to review disputes and to uh, mediate. They were almost a type of a prophet in a way, but not as great, you might say, as the prophets. They had the Spirit of God on them. God used them to reveal God's Word and God's way to the people because God is just, and God wanted them to, to uh, advance spiritually. It says in verse 10, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan Rishiam, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against Chushan Rishiam. And the land had rest for 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And when his time was up, you would have Ehud, the left-handed warrior, the judge who would judge Israel. So that's how God began to institute uh, law to them and, well, mostly the, the uh, application of that law. So this Othniel, we don't know much about him. We know he was Caleb's nephew. Some say he was Caleb's brother, but he looks like he's his nephew, uh, was a man fit to be a judge. And what made him able to judge rightfully and fairly the children of Israel, the Hebrews, was that he had the Spirit of God upon him. You know, human law and human application of law and execution of law is very flawed. And I think we see that more and more as society progresses away from God. When you have a godly judge or a godly police officer or a godly Supreme Court justice, not sure if we have those or not, they're going to be much more adept and good at applying the law fairly because they're going to have an insight to the law you know, based on compassion and conviction and mercy and grace that nobody else has. And that's why you see the law, I think, these days not work as well as it does. But I don't know if you've ever stood before the judge or not. Some of us have for traffic violations. When Nathan had his little accident, we, we didn't have to go do that. Uh, we were just able to pay, or Nathan was able to pay. Uh, some people have to, you know, you have to to have wills probated. You have to if, you know, you're involved in some kind of, you, you know, criminal activity or whatever. you got to go stand b b before a judge. And that's what Israel's having to do. They're having to give an account for what they're doing in Gaza. Thankfully, we're on their side, and these claims by South Africa and the rest of the world are, are, are meritless. They're simply defending themselves. 
They're simply doing what Othniel led the people of Israel to do because they were being oppressed by enemies. They're simply doing the same thing thousands of years later. But even Othniel wasn't a perfect judge. It says he judged Israel. He led them into 40 years of peace. That's a long time. Don't you know that you know, the, the, the Hebrews want peace? Don't you know that uh, you know, the, the, the Gazans and all don't? They want Israel to be gone, and then they say there'll be a time of peace, but they want peace. So Othniel was able to establish by his war exploits, that's how many times you establish peace is through force and through subjugation, uh, they had 40 years of rest. Now in him you see on a spiritual level what Jesus was going to come for. And that will lead us into the second part of this. Think about Christ, and it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon, in this case he's talking about the judge Othniel, but the Spirit of the Lord came on Jesus. It was an application of that. He was God, but it was for the people to see that Jesus was rightfully the Savior. He proved that time and time again, that he was the judge. That authority was given to him to judge by God just as it was for the first judge that we have recorded here, Othniel, and it says, and he judged Israel. Did Jesus judge Israel in the first century? Yeah, he did. He called them out and he told them, he told the Pharisees, he didn't, he didn't play favorites. He said, you know, you oppress the poor, you take advantage of people. But here's the, here is the right and the just way. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. And he was going to take his place by his death on the cross and his resurrection and his, the, the shedding of his blood for the, for the remission of sins, uh, he was going to judge Israel. And through his going to war, as Othniel did, he would deliver those who would believe from their enemies. You see the pattern there of the judges? Well, Jesus is the ultimate Judge. So as Othniel went to war, was called by God, was the, uh, the Spirit was applied to him as judge during this time in the Old Testament, many years before Christ would come, God did the same thing to his son Jesus for a much greater purpose, was for the spiritual deliverance and peace of all those who will believe. And the reason, I want you to remember something here today. As much as we love Israel and we better support Israel, will we be judged? And give an account to God how we, whether we supported or not his people. The reason that Israel is going through all this is because they are being judged because of their, uh, their denial of Christ, their rejection of Jesus, their unbelief in Jesus. But yet in that, they're going through this judgment because God is preparing them, Christ is preparing them for repentance. For repentance. When a judge says, we have, you know, if you do something and you stand before the judge and the judge says, you know, the lawyers made the case, we have irrefutable evidence, and the judge gets it and it's time for sentencing, you know, the jury finds you guilty and it's time, you're at the mercy of nobody else except that judge at that point. They can, they can, they have the power uh, to give life, to take life, or, you know, under the law not them personally, but under the law, you're at their mercy. And at that point, some aren't. You see people attacking judges now, you know, jumping over the bench and stuff. 
um, that they've kind of be a humbling place. When I when I'm caught and I'm I'm being convicted, what my sentence will be. Okay, so the judge holds all that in his hand, or in the case of mankind, her hand. Sometimes the problem with judges today are, from a secular perspective, is most of them are. Not they don't they do not believe they are godless people they are anti God they are not going to judge and deliver uh, resolutions in the law or apply the law rightfully and morally and ethically we see this in the liberal society that we live in today but going back to spiritual things because of Othniel's judging his sacrifice his going to war. The land had rest for 40 years. Jesus came to earth to go to war. Jesus came to earth to go to war. Satan was, was nipping at his heels the whole time, trying to destroy what he would do spiritually. Jesus went to war. We need to remember that. He went to war for us. He went to war for mankind to win us back so that peace spiritually could be established. I say all that today and give you the example of Othniel the first judge, and also that application to Jesus to let you know, to remind you of, we're all going to give an account to God, okay? All of you. It, you you're just not going to die and then, you know, go to heaven or hell or whatever. That's going to happen. You're going to be summoned to the great courtroom. And there's two judgments that we want to talk about that I want to share with you today from the New Testament. There are other kind of sub-judgments because God is just and He judges all things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he gave them advice from how to set up leadership to how to conduct themselves in worship. He gave them advice, you know, in so many different ways because the Spirit was upon him to do so. And then, he, in chapter 5, he writes about a, a judgment that will happen in the future. It's called, now this is the judgment that we'll be a part of. Con, considering, well I say will, all of us sitting here, only those of you sitting here who have faith in Jesus, who have gone to him for the forgiveness of sins and for the salvation of your soul. We will have a judgment, and it's called the Bema Seat Judgment. This will happen in the end times later on. Paul says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this judgment, when we stand before the judge on his throne, is not going to be whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. It's going to be what we have done with our salvation. And I would like to just almost scream this out to the Christians in America today. You're going to be held accountable what you've done with Jesus. You say, well, I, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. But he's going every bit of service or the lack thereof is going to be brought up for evaluation. Every bit of it. Not only that, but the motives behind it. Not only that, but... Um, why you did it, which would be the motives behind it, how effective it was, how many times you darkened the doors of a church house. So that tells me that works are important if I'm born again. Now we kind of, I think Christians 
the human way that we are sometimes in our sinful nature, we say, well, I'm saved and I'm just going to kind of back off and go do my own thing on Sunday. Or I'm going I'm to ease into the church just every once in a while and wave at the preacher real nice and then I'm gone for about six weeks. And I might be back depending on the weather, you know, what's going on. You're going to give an account for that. You're going to give an account for that. You say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Amen. That's going to be something to celebrate. But all of that's going to be brought up for everybody there, all the believers to see. Every motive. You see, all that's going to be judged. And you're going to be rewarded accordingly. I, I, I was thinking about it. You know, kind of convicted me when I thought about, you know, how I might be rewarded for soul winning, how I might be rewarded for whatever, you know, because some of the statistics aren't looking too good on my behalf, although I'm covered by the blood of Christ, and that's why we're able to stand before him, him judge us, you know, reward us based on our works. Now, works don't get you anywhere until you're saved. Works will not get you to be saved or can buy you salvation or earn you salvation. Works are something that's a natural result of being saved. It's concerning for a Christian to have no good fruit in their life to me. Now, I'm, I'm going to start right there because I'm not the judge. Only he is in those matters. But it's concerning to me to look at and say, wait a minute, man, they just, it's just in name only. What good works? When we stand before him and we give an account at this Bema seat for the believers, how many people did we talk to about Jesus? How many people did we give, give or, or be generous to in Jesus' name? How many, uh, you know, what did we do in the name of Jesus? And it's kind of concerning because there's going to be some really short lists for a lot of Christians. Now, I want you to keep this in perspective. That doesn't, God's not going to say, well, you, you know, you weren't saved because we, if you're going to be at this judgment, you're born again and you're headed to heaven. But it, wouldn't it be kind of, I don't know if the word embarrassing or, or concerning or, you know, intimidating to not have much there in the area of works? To, for your motives to be revealed, all those things. For you must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Not only what you've done to others, but what you've done to yourself while we were here on earth in this physical body. According to all that hath he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Good or bad. The negative is going to be brought up. The positive is going to be brought up. We're going to be rewarded, given crowns, jewels in those crowns for that. So that should kind of, I think, shake us a little bit there and go, wait, wait a minute, what, what would be my evaluation? Another judgment, two other judgments during the church age, this is after the church age, during the mercy, uh, age of mercy and grace, the uh, age of grace. There's two judgments that we can partake of now is the judgment of ourselves. You know, we live in a society that says, don't judge me. If you go to work out in certain places and you walk in there like me and, you know, you can't hardly get through the door to get to the place to uh, work out, they say this is a no-judgment zone. 
okay? And don't judge me. How dare you judge me? All those kind of things. Well, one day, all those people are going to be judged. And they may have run, around, run away from Christ and said, how dare he judge me? How dare sin be pointed out? Is it really sin? And, and all those things, well, they're going to be judged one day. You're going to be judged one day. We live in a society that does not like that, but what is good and or bad will be brought up for evaluation. So that's to kind of jog me forward a little bit and say, um, wait a minute, you know, even though I may be 20 years old, maybe I'm 70 years old, I need to give myself some spiritual self-evaluation. And we don't, we, don't, we don't want to do that, do we? Well, I'm born again, I'm saved, and I'm good. And you are, hallelujah. But you're not here for no reason. You're not here with no purpose. You're here with, as a recipient of the greatest gift in the history and the creation of the universe. What are you going to do with it? Or what are you not going to do with it? How would Jesus respond to you? And where you're at. And also, here's one too that I actually had a conversation with, with somebody. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6, we will judge the angels. The born-again believers. You want to you feel good about yourself if you're saved and, and actually feel good about Jesus making you feel good about yourself? We're going to judge the angels. We're above the angels. I'm not going to, when I die... I'm not going to be on a cloud playing a harp with a halo. I'm going to be in the government that is heaven in the New Jerusalem. And if I was last, I'll be the first. And if I was first here on earth, I'm going to be the last as a Christian. I'm going to be serving a lot of you. Just because I stand in a pulpit don't mean nothing. Some of you are greater than I am in the kingdom of God, whether it be my fault or whatever, and I'll serve you there. Just like I serve you here. There may be some people, but it's going to be a perfect government and an application of eternal law that comes from God and only God, delivered and applied through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Some things to think about there. We will judge the angels because many of them, and I think what that really means is we will judge the fallen angels, the demons that torment us. In a spiritual world, you say, I'm not tormented by demons. We do have our temptations and our weaknesses. Look at the world around us. Some of us, it could be addiction. Some of us, it could be just spiritual battles in a lot of different ways. We will judge those angels that have become demons. That ought to make you feel pretty good. And the power of Christ applied to you will make that possible. But enough about those. We're going to go back to the judgments at the end. The Bema seat will be where the Jesus will rightfully sit on the throne. John 5, 22, he was made the judge. God does not judge, but Jesus has been given the authority to do the judging. He's the great judge. And he'll sit on the great white throne later. Here is the Bema seat, and he'll say, well done. You serve those little kids on Sunday night. You sacrifice the NFL. And we're here on Sunday night for some very disadvantaged, abused children. You remember, he'll know their names. He'll know the times you picked them up. He'll know the times that you might have went in the bathroom and beat your head against the wall. <laughs> David's laughing. My van partner <laughs> and a great teacher. 
And he's going to say, I remember back in, the, in AD 1980 when you taught a little aggravating boy in Sunday school. We used to have something called training union. Seems like a foreign world now. Well, we actually had classes on Sunday night. We had training union, and then we came up for Sunday night preaching. That's changed. And I remember a woman named Evelyn Thompson. I was a little, I was aggravating here as a kid. Now, don't, you know, I keep that in mind when I'm trying to minister to some of these kids. I was aggravating. She made a little peanut butter treat for us, and I, I've never had it before since. And she would make that for us, saintly woman, didn't have much in worldly possessions, but she was rich in the things of God. And she took time out for us. And I still remember that, and I remember her. She's now in the New Jerusalem being rewarded for those things, but that's going to be remembered. The songs that were sang, the people who came on Sundays and Wednesday nights when they were five are going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. Those that did things that nobody else knew about, which is the best way to do service for the Lord many times, will be richly rewarded. And then there's going to be those the Lord's going to go, where were you at? What were you doing? The world has passed away, but you sure did live in it, and she sure did put a whole lot more stock and attention and love into that than you did me. But you know what? My blood that I shed will cover that. But I still want to hear some, I would like to be rewarded. I would like to know that I was on, on task, on task, and I was busy till the time that I couldn't do anything else. And I'm here to tell you something. If we're here and we're breathing, we can do something for the Lord. It may be pray. It may be make that one phone call that may totally change somebody's day or their month or their life. It may be driving a van. It may be cleaning up a bathroom. It may be doing landscaping here at the church. What are we doing for the glory of Christ? You know, for, for what I deserve and what I would have, would have gone through without Jesus in hell, you know, I, I owe him a debt of love. You know, it's not so much the money that we get caught up in sometimes. It's the time. I owe him a debt of love. I can never repay it. But I can, I can try to do some things that bring him, Christ, the glory that he deserves because of what he's done for a sinner like me. All those things, things that we forgot about, will be brought up for evaluation one day. That's for the believers. That's the Bema seat. And I want to end with this because we're going to have an opportunity to partake of the mercy and grace of Jesus, the great white throne judgment. This one here is horrible, but you don't have to be a part of it. Wrong, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. The doom of the unbelieving dead, the last judgment. Wow. Whatever we receive in reward or don't, those at the Bema seat are covered and excused, you might say, into heaven, into to perfection by their belief in Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. Here, all those who died lost, 
all those who died without Christ, all those who died unbelieving and mocking and blaspheming everything about God and especially Christ, they're going to all be gathered back together. This is called the great white throne judgment. And John saw this. He was given a glimpse of this. And he says, I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Here sits the greatest judge in the universe for all time. Here sits the judge that is spotless and has every right and every authority given from heaven to him to judge all things in the earth. He can judge the people, and he will. He will judge the sin that has come into the environmental world. He will judge the sin of the cosmos. He will judge every sin to perfection because God is just. And there ain't going to be no forgetting here either. So it says there was, that there was no place found for them. Verse 12, and it's Paul. Uh, Paul. John said, I saw the dead small and great stand before God. This will be the ISIS terrorists who thought they were going to receive 72 virgins in paradise when they detonated that explosive. This, they will be brought back together after the rapture. Just as the dead in Christ shall rise, they'll be physically put back together and they'll enter back into their bodies. That's going to ha happen to the dead who were unbelieving at the great white throne. Thank you so much for listening to the services from Calvary Baptist Church. To hear more of this sermon or other past services, please visit our website, calvarybcgainesville.org. 97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.